Welcome to Awakening. Allow yourself to settle and arrive. We will begin in one minute. Welcome to Awakening Torah Musar Mindfulness, our weekly learning and sitting together where we look at the Torah portion. I am Rabbi Chassi Uriel Steinbauer, the founder and director of Hamachon Kedusha, the Institute for Holiness, Kehilat Musar. I'm delighted that you've joined us on Zoom and live streaming on Facebook, on our YouTube channel, on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you for arriving to engage in this practice together where we meet weekly on Sundays, Bezrat Hashem, God willing, at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 p.m. Israel time. We begin with our kavanah, our intention for today's practice. I'm going to share screen with you. For those of you listening on audio, we have before us three kavanot, three intentions. We practice the first and last each week together to frame how we want to engage in this practice together. Number one says, before doing acts of caring for the self, which this is what we're doing during this half hour to 45 minutes together, a radical act of self-care. This is something I'm doing to strengthen my own soul in order to be of benefit to others in the future. And number three, before doing acts to strengthen your relationship with the divine, which we're also doing, God willing, here together. This is something I am doing to strengthen my relationship with the creator so that I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. So allow us a minute of silence just to take in that intention, that kavanah for today's practice. Allow yourself to honor what you need to bring to this practice and get out of it. This week, we are blessed to come together again with the help of God to engage in looking at the Torah portion that we learned and heard chanted in synagogues throughout the world yesterday called Mishpatim. It is our practice here at the Institute for Holiness to meet on the day after the traditional Torah reading and the week that we study the Torah portion traditionally, so that you'll have time to dwell in it to actually busy yourself, sit in it, be with it, abide in the Torah and the Torah portion each week. See what you, your response is to it, what you have to learn from it, what the commentators may say, what family and friends might say, what you might hear. 
all are welcome. Anyone can engage in the Hebrew Bible and the Torah and learn from this beautiful tradition. So we jump in Mishpatim. Now, Mishpatim, as you know, is full of many laws. Not every law, not every aspect of law, but many laws that uh, dealing with work and money and property and courts, um, a full range. And um, there, there's also so much more that's discussed in, the, in this parsha, looking at how you treat others, particularly those that are most disadvantaged in society, to recall how you were treated in Egypt. This is the message to B'nai Israel, but it's also on to the Jewish people later throughout the generations to remember that you were a ger, a foreigner, and a foreign land, and what that experience is like. Um, and therefore, you should be kind towards others. We will we'll, we'll delve into that. Um, there's some obviously so much more. Uh, it's a beautiful text on if your enemy uh, animal falls into a pit or is lost, that you are to help them, that you can't bear a grudge and not. It's a beautiful, beautiful laws, utterances, suggestions that can't actually be dealt with in a court of law. They have to come from the moral compass within someone's own conscience. And, and in particular, you won't want to hurt your relationship with the divine. This is a concern for B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, and even today as a religious conscious person involved in daily practice, that you want to be in alignment with what God wants of you and aligning your God, uh, your will to God's. Uh, in particular, it's your own divine source that you want to be living out your values, what sometimes I call Torah values. So um, we also learn about the Shemitah year, the year of release of when we should not work the land. Many, many beautiful laws and ideas and uh, concepts in here, and we obviously can't touch on them all. So I'm going to focus briefly on two areas that for this year really speak to me, okay? And I hope that they do the same to you. So I want to start off by saying this is known as the Book of Covenants, okay? The laws, the Sefer Habrit. And um, basically um, the most major important thing that you need to realize or accept or face about this Sefer Habrit is, is its source, that it's a divine source, okay? And um, in particular, um, the social rules, the moral imperatives, the ethical injunctions, the civil and criminal laws, the cultic prescriptions that are involved in here, they're all equally conceived to be expressions of divine will. This is coming from beautiful JPS, the Jewish Publication Society on page 117 in their book on Exodus. And um, that this body of legislation, it can't strictly be called a law, a law code because it's not comprehensive in scope and is silent in some major areas of legal practice, such as inheritance, transfer of property, commerce and marriage. So it's a, JPS is understanding that uh, the gaps must be filled by oral transmission in the, in the culture and um, 
that basically we can understand that actually what is being dealt with in the Torah must be regarded as sometimes as innovations and amendments to existing practice. Um, So we'll keep that in mind as we move through this. And the two areas I want to focus on is just realizing to hold first is, can this be enforced by a, a, a judicial court? Or is this something that the human being must self-enforce? Are we going back to, and not back in, as in, that's a bad thing to go back, but back to this yada, this yud, dayan, ayin, ayin, excuse me, um, this sense of knowing God and that being knowing God as a moral compass to know what's right and wrong and to act uh, through justice and, and that which is upright and full of integrity. Um, it, it seems that we are addressing that area here um, of where we're going to focus uh, for today. So um, <clears throat> I want to begin first with the case of the slave. And if you were like my childhood self and probably my own children today, you immediately should have that child voice cry out to you and say, slave, slave laws. Why are we even dealing with slaves? We just left slavery. We shouldn't have any slaves. We shouldn't even have to be dealing with this. Why are there slaves, right? So that's our own moral compass. That's our own voice of justice of you just left slavery and you're going to have slaves and you're going to have to have have laws that actually protect and deal with the slave. Okay. So now that we've had our reaction and our attachment and our aversion, (laughs) we can come to accept we are dealing with an ancient Middle Eastern Asian society that is entrenched in slavery. And uh, simply because a people is taken out of slavery, there will be times and moments in which someone must enslave oneself. It's a very different form of slavery than we know about from the kidnapping and uh, Atlantic slave trade. Uh, Sometimes one is enslaved for um, stealing, for an act that they might do. Sometimes they will go in some form of um, slavery for not having that which to pay for something that they owe for a short period of time, there's a time limit. Um, So it's a different form of slavery than we we may know or be popular. Um, But in in this case, uh, we have a case, uh, let me me touch upon it in the Torah for you. You have this case where you have a slave and the, it's a Hebrew slave. It's an, an, one of the, the children of Israel. Okay. And this is in chapter 21, um, dealing with starting with verse number two, and that he serves you for six years. And in the seventh year, he shall be set free without liability. And then it gets into if he's married or not, and if he can leave with the wife or if the wife and the children were something that are owned and, and controlled or per, by the master and the master's property. So Hassan, we have this case that the slave declares, I'm fond of my master and, um, and my wife and my children, and I don't want to go free. And the master must bring him to the courts, stand him 
next to the doorpost and the master pierces his ear with an all, 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 and then the slave shall be the master forever. Okay, so um, the commentators have much to say about this, but the key things you must know is that you have the range of, from, for instance, Rashbam, the, the lovely uh, grandson of Rashi, the famous rabbinic commentator from France. He says that the piercing is simply so that everyone will know that he's a slave. He's an Evid. That's it. Um, so, but I love Rashi and Rashi quotes in Midrash. Rashi comes to say the piercing is a punishment. And for what? It could be a punishment for choosing to remain a slave. That on Har Sinai, God specified that all of B'nai Israel are servants of God and not to human beings. And so the hole in this slave's ear is punishment for choosing to use um, one's ear to obey a human master rather than God. I want to even extend this. This might be a punishment, um, almost a public humiliation of coming to the court to have to do this for the master, because the master shouldn't be enslaving someone forever. And in particular, the master shouldn't be leaving a slave with nothing to leave with. So part of the reason why we think a slave would choose to stay with the master, other than obviously wanting to stay with one's wife and children, is this um, sense that they will have to go out with nothing, no property, no money or anything. And this is where this is where this, uh, this rule of law and how we treat people will evolve over time. But for right now, that's a moral problem in the sense that you're going to send someone out. They don't want to go out in poverty with nothing. And so they rather remain your slave. So it's like the same dependency cycle that we saw last week in Yitro that um, actually more in Bishalach where God may want this dependency of the Nei Israel, the children of Israel on food and water so that they will depend on God. And then of course the people will be like, well, we're only going to be obedient and fulfill what you want if you provide the food and water. So it's a cycle of reactivity. So same thing here that um, the master is going to set up a situation or live among a society of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel who attempt to send out a slave with nothing. And that's going to enforce a, a, a cycle and a system of dependency where someone will choose to remain in slavery rather than face those circumstances. And that's a responsibility on the owner and the society in general. So uh, we want to hold that in our minds that I, you know, I, I, I never saw it or thought of it as a punishment before. And it's beautiful. Thank you, Rashi, for that reading. Um, so we are going to move on to the next segment to, to hold in mind, which is really strong, which um, many people discuss and talk about, which is um, <clears throat> that, what else do I want to share with you before we move on? Give me one second. Oh, I just want to say about the, the laws of slavery, um, okay, because there's actually 10 laws <laughs> 10 laws regulating the institution of slavery here. And, you know, you have other ancient Near Eastern traditions like the Hammurabi uh, Code 
that um, deals with slavery, but they always deal with slavery last in their codes. And here it is first, right in your face. Why do you think that's the case? So JPS posits on page 180, the priority is given to the subject by the Torah has a historical truth, has a historical explanation. And that is um, having recently experienced liberation from slavery, the Israelites is enjoined to be especially sensitive to the conditions of the slave. And yet what I just brought up is a loophole, is, a, is something missing that will have to be developed later on. And obviously the arc is long and it takes time, but we abolish slavery, at least in this society. There's still much work to do. Apparently there are still many countries where it does still exist. This is an evil institution. I don't need to say more about it, but let's, um, let's learn from what we can from the Torah uh, to move on. So um, now I'm moving to, uh, which wants to follow along here on chapter 22 through 23, but in particular, I'm chapter 22, verses 20 through 26, where we're jumping in to, um, to the concern for the disadvantage, the disadvantaged of society, okay? And there are four social groups that are especially seen as vulnerable, uh, vulnerable to exploitation and to uh, other things. And this, this is, these, these four are given God's special concern. And therefore, they should be our special concern. So uh, the, the, the stranger, the gayer, okay, the widow, the orphan, and the poor. Okay, so here there's a huge sensitivity to their condition, not simply out of human, humanitarian considerations, okay, um, but because it's, it's a divine imperative. God cares. God does not want this. We, in developing our moral compass, our knowing and remembering, and now are doing, and then listening, then obeying, then learning, we too must hold these in special consideration. And that insensitivity, okay, then this is not something that can easily be enforced in a, in a judicial court. This is about human conscious, okay, consciousness, okay. This insensitivity is considered sinful, the violation of a commandment that uh, expresses God's will. And um, it's, it's, it's all these laws concerning these people are addressed both in the plural and singular, which is of importance, is a striking feature of the Hebrew legal formation of who the audience is. There's no one who gets outside of this. And um, it recognizes that both the individual and society are equally responsible and accountable for the terms of this relationship, okay? So um, it's, you know, JPS posits for us and basically says that on page 137, that social evil is thus a sin against humanity and God. It's this going back to this vigilante, this knowing this fear of God, having this moral compass, living with integrity and knowing that this, if you treat these people poorly, this is wrong. 
All right. And so um, why is this given such importance? Who, who are we? What did we just come out of? What did the children of Israel just experience for hundreds of years and then were brought out of slavery, right? Worst institution in society possible. And so this empathetic regard for the disadvantage in, in society, it should, um, it, it's something that God wants and, and, and maybe even come out organically out of us. This, it's something that is stimulated by our own historical experience. So that's the first thing that they carry with them. And when we talk about internet, um, intergenerational trauma, well, there's also intergenerational um, survival skills, that which is beautiful and positive that enabled the people to survive and, and move and, and uh, produce, not just people, but be out in, in society and developing. So we have um, here that this historical experience of slavery and, and how we're treated informs us and, and, and strengthens our empathetic muscle or should, right? And uh, this find that God's concern arises out of God's essential nature. And this is what we're starting to emulate, this um, emulating the divine source. And uh, God is intolerant of injustice and has compassionate qualities. And, and, and look who God selects, who, who, you know, out of all the patriarchs, and in particular, Moshe, um, but it's the people that don't tolerate injustice, okay? And moving that into a rule of law and moving it into something that a people can develop and practice and support and celebrate, not just individual vigilantes, okay? So uh, that's a beautiful thing to keep in mind. And, um, okay, the key thing I want to point out <laughs> is that this concern for the disadvantage comes immediately after being told not to worship other gods. And this ties into the yud dalet ayin of knowing God and fearing God and only one God. If you don't have that yada, that knowing, then you're not going to have the moral compass according to this reading and understanding of the text. And therefore you're going to violate how you treat those who are most vulnerable. There is an intimate connection. So there's like a moral corruption and that's how it gets played out and how human relations are to one another. And um, without this knowing and therefore even remembering, which uh, in the Zion Chofresh, which is an embodied remembering, it's one that pushes us to social action. Uh, it's, a, it's a mindfulness. It's an embodied remembering of the experience that this can only uh, turn towards our imperative to become a holy people, which gets addressed in chapter 22, verse 30, that you shall be holy people to me. This is, this is where this holiness code is starting to develop from the vigilante to this mm, 
this rule of law to even something even higher and more developed, holiness, kedusha. So um, that basically there's an intimate connection to our relationship with God and knowing God uh, and how we also treat one another. And this is what we witness in Mishpati today. That is what I want to cover for our um, text. Um, I want to read one line from the Torah that is very, um, well, actually two verses, two or three. We are in, in, we are in chapter 22, verse, I'll start with 19 to make the connection for you. I'll read this part in English and uh, maybe share some of the Hebrew. Whoever sacrifices to any deity other than God alone must be condemned to death. So there we see knowing God, fearing God, not being involved with other. other. 20. Do not hurt the feelings of a foreigner or oppress him, for you were foreigners in Egypt. There's the ideal, and then there's the real. We practice daily to develop and reach towards our higher best selves, towards the ideal. We always hold out in society that we want, we expect. There's a huge, quiet, hidden expectation that those who've been oppressed, we expect them to know better and therefore not treat someone else that way because of what they've been through. I think it's a projection that we want them to be that way, to be their higher selves, to know better. But we often know that peoples often will act out in that trauma that was done to them to others. So again, we have the ideal and the real, but this is beautiful line here. You can't hurt the foreigner because you were a foreigner. 21. Do not mistreat a widow or an orphan. If you mistreat them, they will cry out to me. I will hear their cry. I will display my anger. Kill you by the sword so that your wives will be widows and your children and orphans. This is not about a judicial court. This is about human consciousness, human um, developing and holding and supporting this moral compass. Okay, that that fear of God and here this threat, this fear and threat of violence so that you will behave and not mistreat the widow and the orphan. If we have the Yada as witness from our beloved ancestors, our patriarch, matriarchs, and all the way through to Moshe, we don't need these threats. We have it. This is a gift to every soul, each and every soul. Each and every one holy soul, we're all created in the image of God. We all have that moral compass. Sometimes as we learn and moose our mindfulness, that it gets blocked with obstacles, with trauma, with whatever happens in our lives. And so we can't, it gets clouded, cloudy. And we can't sometimes know that moral compass. So it takes the practice. It takes refuge in this, this community 
in this practice together, refuge in God, in the Dharma also, in Torah, refuge in the wisdom of the Buddha, refuge with our teachers and our community so that we can continue to strengthen this moral compass to be in community and kahila and avad and asanga together to do this holy work that we are on this lifelong path towards holiness to kadusha. We're going to move now into our seated meditation. As I always say every session, if you are someone who lives with pain, chronic pain, or just having a flare today, where it's so deeply uncomfortable for you to sit, don't sit. Take care of yourself. Stand up. Do a walking meditation as I guide you. Lie down if you need to, keeping your eyes open so that you remain, remain awake and alert. For the rest of us who can sit, come to an upright position, please. You want your spine strong, centered and alert. Not West Point stiff, as John Kabat-Zinn says, our wonderful teacher. Allow your hands to either rest in your lap, in a meditation position on your thighs. For some people, they love to hold their heart. Whatever works for you. Shut your eyes if you feel safe. Otherwise, bring them to a lower gaze. And we will begin with three deep cleansing breaths. In breath, out breath, I am arriving. In breath, a gift from God. Out breath, I am settling. In breath, planting your feet so that you will be held by the earth. You are between heaven and earth. Allow yourself to settle and arrive to the present moment of my voice. You may use your breath as your anchor. Or you may use the sounds around you. Whatever assists you to remain here and now in the felt sense of the body. We begin with a brief body scan. This time begin with your toes. You may allow a smile to come on your face as you awaken to the good that you have toes. You may move them, allow the roots of the earth to travel through your veins your nerves, up your feet, up your calves, 
through your thighs, noticing what is here for you. Any sensations in the body calling for your loving attention. To your hips, your sit bones, your lower back and your pelvis. To your stomach. Up your back and to your chest. the area underneath your arms, down to your elbows, to your hands and your fingers. You may move your fingers around. Do you have some thoughts in the past that are pulling you away? Something you want to reminisce about? Perhaps you're planning for the future. The minute you become awake to this, with no judgment. This is just with a non-judgmental kindness and awareness, you bring yourself back to the present moment, to your anchor. We move back up the arms to our shoulders, shoulder blades, the collarbone, the neck, the throat, to your jaw, your tongue and your cheeks, even behind your eyes, your forehead. What is your experience right here, right now? If something is unpleasant for you, you may kindly label it as such, unpleasant, knowing that you can trust in this practice and trust in God that this too shall pass, that every emotion, every sensation, every thought is an impulse, is a phase, is here and then gone. You may take refuge in knowing that all of us are sitting here and breathing the same breath together, caring and supporting one another, that there are many others sitting out here right now in this space who may be in deep discomfort and that which is unpleasant too. For others, you may be in a neutral space. For some of us, there might be something deeply pleasant going on. To note it, to allow it. Coming to nurture yourself. Ask yourself, what is the most vulnerable part of me right now? What is the felt sense of it in the body?
Have I been struggling with attachment or aversion today, yesterday, the past week? Can I bring self-compassion? What does the most vulnerable part of me need right here, right now? You may gently ask yourself. Perhaps it needs love. Perhaps it needs wisdom. Perhaps it just needs to be held and that you be with it. We move into practice of silent meditation for the next four or so minutes. For those of you new to meditation practice, attempt to stay in the present moment with your anchor without struggling or forcing. And when you notice that you have gone off, Simply begin again in the words of our teacher, Joseph Goldstein. Just bring yourself back to your breath or to your anchor, whatever it may be. Mindful of whatever arises, seeing if you can be with it. Coming to non-identification through a nurturing, loving curiosity. We are here all with the beginner mind, the I don't know. And I'm still here to jump in and practice, to attempt to be the best, higher version of myself in service of others and God. We move into silence. We move into stillness.
With the sounds of the bells, we know that our meditation has come to end for now. When you feel ready, gently and kindly open your eyes to join us back in this sacred space, practicing awakening. This week, awakening mishpatim applying our lens of Musar mindfulness to learn from the text and apply it to our lives, to learn from the midot of our ancestors and what is expected of us. I thank you for your practice. Thank you for being here. Thank you to God for enabling this moment. Today's sitting and teaching sponsored by the Institute in honor and memory of two very important people in the lives of the Institute in particular to me. The first is in memory of Dai Teknat Khan, who, as we know, passed away. May his memory be for a blessing. He's a beloved teacher and will remain so, and his teachings will pass through all of us. And it is only my wish throughout my lifetime, if I'm given the opportunity, God willing, to emulate who he was and what he provided to the world. The second person is not in memory of, but in honor of Lily Violet. Our the Institute's extraordinaire, more than a website designer, our visionary for our brand, if we want to call it that, to assist the Institute for Holiness to be its best self, to raise itself up to its higher self. And we sponsor in honor of her. She's helped us create the vision of who we are and where we need to head as a long-term plan. And in particular, we'll be launching with her help and God's help, our new website on my Abba's yard site on his Yom HaZikaron, his memorial day of his death, which is on Rosh Chodesh Adar Rishon, on the new moon of the month of Adar coming on Tomorrow night it starts, and the day is February 1st it falls on. We will be launching the new website at www.kahilatmusar.com. And so you can know that Lily was part of the mastermind and visionary and support for the Institute for Holiness too provide what it can out to the world to bring Musar mindfulness to as many people as possible and to build this cohort of practitioners to be refuge and community together. So we have a lot to celebrate this week in memory of my Abba, my father, may his memory be for a blessing. Help me and help the Institute make his memory for a blessing by subscribing to the Institute for Holiness through our MailChimp to receive a monthly newsletter. Become a member where you will support the Institute monthly for a small fee of $18. If US dollars, it can come in any currency possible. 
to enable the work that we do and to receive member benefits that were all laid out and listed on the website. You can find that membership information there and to subscribe to the website. No need to be a member to subscribe to the monthly newsletter through MailChimp. It's also the link on the website. So I'm delighted. I hope that you are too, uh, to get the most out of what we can offer and build together. And I'm so grateful for today's sit. Thank you. Uh, we meet the same time, Bezrat Hashem, next week and Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, that um, what comes after Mishpatim is Truma, and another beautiful, I mean, they're all beautiful parshiot, um, but uh, these ones really tap at the heart. So please join me next week. Be in touch via email um, to kahilatmusar at gmail.com with any comments or questions. I thank you again so much for your practice and being here. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you at the launch on February 1st.